forest bare. And in his temple, everything says glory. Okay. When I was listening to the music, it reminded me of a, it's like an Israeli tune about the glory of God. And often we take it for granted. We get up in the morning, we see the sun, see the trees, see uh, other people, see the flowers coming up. We don't realize in our hearts and minds that God sustains all these things by his great power. And when we think on those things, we should reflect back through the power of the Holy Spirit on our lives. You know, because there's many things that we have done that have offended God. Because we, we grew up willful. I'm, I'm going to be 72 in June. Lots of fault in me. And when the Holy Spirit searches you, he shows you how your, your faults have offended other people. Sometimes you didn't even realize it. So let's just take the time to quiet our hearts before the Lord and confess to him our faults. So I will just give everybody a, a few moments to reflect as the Holy Spirit leads you. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, when we search our hearts and minds, we find that, that in many ways we have failed you. But we know that through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, you have overcome our failings, and you have granted us your presence that we might draw closer to you because of what the Lord Jesus did when he paid the price of our sins and shed his blood for them. We pray, Lord God, that you would help us in our strivings to draw closer to you, Lord God, for it is, is wonderful and also difficult, Lord, to be in your presence, because when we're in your presence, we see your beauty compared to our failings. But we know that you have granted your loving kindness and perfection to us through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we thank you for that. We pray, Lord God, that we would be strengthened because the world is not aware of your great gift. And you have given us a responsibility, Lord God, to help others draw closer to him. Please help us in that responsibility that we have as we wrestle with you each and every day. And we thank you and praise you for your loving kindness toward us. Help us, Lord God, to draw closer to you.
And we come before you in thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. I'll be reading the Confession of Faith, which is in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It's number 69. What is forbidden in the Sixth Commandment? The Sixth Commandment forbids us to take our own life or to take unjustly the life of our neighbor or anything else to these ends. And now the children may come forward for the children's sermon. <laughs> oh man. You want to come down? <laughs> Good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing? Do you guys wrestle? Do you ever wrestle with your brother or your sister? Okay. Do you like to wrestle? Huh? Let, let's let's put on our best wrestling appearance. Let's see see how strong we are. Do you wrestle? See, are you strong? Yeah. Okay. Okay. You know that Jacob, when he was going back to his brother because he had been in trouble with his brother because he cheated his brother out of something that was really special. Okay. And his brother was really, really mad at him. Actually, uh, his brother was on his way to visit him and he had 400 people, 400 men with him when his, when his brother was coming, when Jacob was coming back to meet his brother Esau. And uh, before that happened, Jacob sent gifts to his brother. So what do you think he was trying to do? You think he was trying to make his brother not angry with him? But he was still afraid. But he sent all these gifts ahead of himself, ahead of him. So his brother would be, you know, uh, not angry with him anymore. But he still was afraid. And when he was afraid... You know what happened? The angel of the Lord came right at night and wrestled with Jacob. Could you imagine wrestling with the, the angel of the Lord? But he didn't know for sure it was the angel of the Lord. You know how he found out? Does anybody know how he found out? Okay, well, we'll think about how he found out this next little demonstration I have something for you to to do Let's see. And so I'm going to give you a little bag there's a bag and if you need help to open them I'll help you 
<laughs> You'll see. <laughs> Sit down. No, 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 no. Don't, don't go anywhere. <laughs> this, is, this is not the good bag. The good bag comes later. I have a loud voice. Yeah, I have a loud voice. You want to turn it down a little bit. Okay, does everybody get a bag? Okay, did everybody get a bag? Okay, we are all set. I have something else. Okay, you get one. You get one. Oh, you'll see. It's going to be cold, yeah. You want a hint and you want to hold it. Okay, put it in your bag. You didn't get a bag? Oh, I'll have to give you a bag. Okay, dear. So, did you get your ice? Yeah, it is ice. Okay. Don't lose your ice. <laughs> now, here's what the contest is going to be. We're ha instead of having a wrestling contest, we're going to have an ice-melting contest. Does that sound like fun? No. <laughs> now, you can, you can get straws to blow on your ice. Okay, you want some straws? Or you can use salt to melt the ice. What would you like to do with your ice? Okay. I can't see. <laughs> No, no. Keep keep the ice in your bag. It's starting melting. Well, maybe you'll be able to win then. Mm -hmm. uh -oh. Here's a little snafu in my plan. Okay, do you want salt or do you want straws? You want salt. Okay, somebody wants straws. How many straws do you want? You, can, you want one? Okay. You want you could try to melt it with your hands too. You want salt, okay? Is that enough? Okay. How about you? You want the straws? I want the salt. You want salt. You think that's enough? You want salt? Huh? You want salt. Everybody likes salt. Yeah. Okay. 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 Salt. Everybody's going for salt. I have straws. Salt melts ice. So so does warm air. Okay. You want salt? Or do you want straws? You want salt. Another salt. Okay. You want salt or you want straws to blow on the ice? You want salt. 
Okay. You want salt or straws? Okay. 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 What's that? Uh, uh, don't don't put salt. Don't leave it in the bag. Yeah. Don't put salt on us. Don't put the salt. Don't take the salt out. <laughs> now I'm going to take and put an ice cube. I'll get a nice big one and put it in my bag. Okay. Now we have about. You can use the salt. You can use your hands. You can blow in your bag. You can do anything like that to melt. We're going to have a contest to see who can melt the ice cube the fastest. We only got about a minute, so let's start. Okay, try to melt your ice cube. No, this, I gave you what you have. Okay. <laughs> oh, you better. You want more salt? Oh. <laughs> Is this cheating? see how I'm doing here. Everybody, how's, how's everybody doing with their... Oh, you, you took the amount of salt you needed, right? How you doing? Good. Maybe you guys are beating me. <laughs> but I, you think I'm cheating, right? Anybody's ice cube melted yet? No. Oh, you're using your hands. That's that's pretty good. Okay. Who whose ice cube is melted more? Yeah, you're right. You know, I'm going to tell you what happened with Jacob. You know, Jacob was wrestling with the angel of the Lord, but he wasn't sure he was the angel of the Lord. We better pick up your ice cube. Okay, I think, I think by using the, the hair dryer, I did win. And you, you said that's cheating. 
Okay. Now, here's what happened with Jacob. Jacob was wrestling at at first. He thought he was a man. Now, what did I have to melt my ice that you guys didn't have? A, A blow dryer, right. And so, okay, sit down, please. Okay. <laughs> now, you know what? You know what? You know what the angel of the Lord did to Jacob when he was wrestling? He touched him on the hip and threw his hip out of place. You know, a hip is like it has a, a ball and a socket, and, and it turns like this so you guys can walk and so you can kick and do things like that. But if your hip pops out of socket, it causes a lot of pain. And, and the angel of the Lord touched Jacob right on the hip, and his hip popped out of place. Now, did you think that was fair? No? <laughs> no, no, we're done. Okay. Yeah, because you still have an ice cube. But. <laughs> Yours leaking. So we'll, we'll collect the ice cubes. Here, you can just throw them in the bucket. I know, I know I cheated with a hair dryer. But do you think? Okay. Goodness, I'm sorry. Yours was leaking. I'm sorry, any, any parents to, you know. Okay, you can throw it out. You can, there you go. Okay. That was cold, yeah. Let's see. Oh, right. You're cold. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Now, remember, the angel of the Lord touched Jacob on the hip, and his hip popped out. So it was really sore. Do you think that Jacob gave up? No, he didn't give up. He still wrestled with the angel of the Lord. Why do you think he did that? Huh? Huh? No? Sit down, please. <laughs> you know that, you know, and what did the angel of the Lord wanted to show Jacob? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> he wanted to show Jacob that he had more power than Jacob realized. Okay? And so, but Jacob still hung on to the Lord. You see, that's what the Lord wants us to do. He wants us to hang on to him even though we know that the Lord has more power than we do. Just like I had more power to melt the ice. Well, the Lord has all kind of power more than we do, but he still wants us, the Lord still wants to have a relationship with us so that we can use his power to overcome difficulties in our life. Now, Jacob was going back to see his brother, you know, he, he had, you know what he had done to his brother? He had cheated him out of a blessing. Now, if your brother cheated you out of something that was yours, what did you want to do with your brother? Huh? Go ahead. Wrestle him. You'd want to win. Or do, okay. Or you want to get even, right? But... And so his brother was coming to see him with 400 men. Do you think he could get even with Jacob if he was going to come back and see him? So what did Jacob need? He needed the Lord's help 
in overcoming the evil that his brother intended to do to him. Okay? And he needed the help to confess what he had done wrong to his brother. That's what the Lord can do in our lives. He can teach us and give us the power to overcome evil in our lives because he has more power than we do. Okay? Now, I'm going to tell you a scripture. The scripture is Romans 12, 21. It says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do you think it's easy to do that? No. So whose power do we need to help us to overcome evil with good in life? God's power. And that's what he wants to share with us. His power to overcome evil. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord God, because we know that you have much more power than we do. And you want us to use your power to overcome evil with good. And the good that we have is your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in our lives to help us forgive and to help us to be kind and gentle and truthful with one another. We do thank you and praise you. Please, please listen. And we come before you asking you for this help. In Jesus' name, amen. Remember, God has more power than we do. <laughs> and now, it's time for your packages. Now, these ones don't have ice cubes in them. Okay. So I think you'll like them better. <laughs> you want another ice cube? No. That's okay. <laughs> okay, don't be in a hurry. Every, there's one for everyone. Here, here. There you go. Okay, there you go. There you go. God bless. Kind of started to resemble that movie Gremlins for a minute there. Just don't worry about it, it's all right. Just by way of um, an item for prayer, Don and Kathy Schilling's daughter, uh, Kelly, and her husband, Nathan, she was pregnant with triplets. They've now, they had to do an emergency C-section. She's now lost two of the three babies. And so be in prayer for them. Father, we come before you uh, this morning as the body of Christ in this particular place. And we join our prayers together and we seek the well-being of your church, of your people, of our world, 
and you have given us the tremendous privilege of prayer whereby we take your hand and we access your power and we are able to direct good with your agreement towards those things that we are concerned about. There is indeed a great deal of power in prayer because there is a great deal of power in you. And we recognize by experience that prayer is something that is a skill to some extent that needs to be acquired. And we have to labor at it, and we have to practice at it, and we learn. So help us, Father, to be mindful of the fact that we are learning as we pray. And not to grow weary in it and cease to do it because... It doesn't produce immediate results that we want to see sometimes. Father, with those things in mind, we come before you this morning and we do intercede on behalf of Kelly and Nathan. And uh, we ask that you would soothe their hearts and, and Don and Kathy's hearts as well as they are mourning the loss of these two little babies. It is um, one of the deepest pains that can be known. And so we ask for your mercy to be upon them. We pray for the one who survives, the little boy, and we ask, O oh Lord, that you would save him, spare his life, and strengthen him and cause him to grow and develop and to become a godly man one day. We rejoice, O oh Lord, that you are um, a God who saves sovereignly and that those babies are in heaven with you and they will be seen and known one day again. Father, we lift up uh, Greg Flew, who's recovering from his surgery and um, at last report things were going well. We ask, oh Lord, that you would continue to bless him and put your healing power into him and that um, he would be able to completely recover and go home and uh, begin living a normal life again. We pray for um, those in our number who are wrestling with any kind of an illness, O oh Lord, whether it would be a physical illness or a mental illness or a sickness of soul. And we pray for your healing power to be upon them. We pray for broken hearts, O oh Lord, and ask for you to mend them. We pray, O oh King, for your gospel to go forth amongst our friends and neighbors in power so that people can see that life with Jesus is infinitely better than life without. Father, look with mercy and compassion upon this church and meet all of her needs. We pray, Father, for us to be a blessing to each other and we pray for a mindfulness and a joy and a, a sense of the value of the people around us. We would not take them for granted. We ask that you would bless our government, our leaders, and those in authority. May they cease to do evil and always be ready to do good. We pray that they would be moved to protect the rights and privileges of the people under their jurisdiction. And we pray that we would be left in peace to live our quiet lives and share the gospel, and worship you in spirit and in truth.
There are many other things that we could lift up, Father, but time is short. So we offer up to you the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If the deacons would come forward with the offering that we've pre-collected, we'll stand and sing the doxology together. thank you so much for these gifts and we ask that you would bless them and multiply them and use them to further your work in your kingdom bless also the hands that have given and may the giving be done with joy and may joy surround everything that we do for you in jesus name that we pray amen please be seated you know i, I think we found a way that we can save quite a bit of money on uh, winter salt treatments for the parking lot and we'll just get a hairdryer. Yeah. Let's, um, let's open up our Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 1. And we are continuing to explore the, uh, the blessings and benefits of the grace that has been lavished upon us in the Beloved. Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to back up again that few, that the last two words in verse 4, and then pick up verse 5. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things on heaven and things on earth. Lord, we ask this morning that you would speak to us in the preaching of your word. It is to you and to you alone that we look. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I have not done a great deal of traveling outside of the United States. I've been to Canada a few times. I've been to Mexico several times. I mean, I grew up just north of the Mexican border. Um, I've been to Scotland. Uh, spent quite a bit of time in Scotland, and uh, I've been to Northern England, and that's really it. Now, I would like to travel more, actually, but I have these really crazy, severe food allergies to really common things, and uh, what I find in the United States is that my waiters and my waitresses 
often keep poisoning me after telling me the things that they're serving me are free of all the things I'm allergic to. And if these people who speak my native language can't get it right, uh, I can't imagine trying to just eat out in some place like Italy or Germany or Greece or some Arabic-speaking country, which is kind of too bad, really, because there are so many things that I'd like to see. There's so many things that I'm interested in. I, 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 I kind of have this list of things that I'd like to see. Wartburg Castle in Germany is where Martin Luther hid out when the Pope's forces were looking for him. And during that time, he translated the Bible from Latin into German. And there is a, 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 was a story that Luther was working and Satan was attacking him, almost in visible form, and Luther hurled his ink pot at the devil. And apparently you can still see the stain on the floor from the ink in Wartburg Castle. I'd like to see that stain. Uh, I'd like to go to the Louvre Museum in Paris. My wife has been there, and she tells me that there are amazing works of art there. I'd like to go to the Vatican and to see the catacombs under the Vatican and St. Peter's Basilica. There's a, a church in, in Istanbul that uh, is now a mosque, but it was, it was called when it was a church, Hagia Sophia, the Church of Holy Wisdom. Beautiful building. They've preserved it, even though it's become a mosque. And then there's the Acropolis in Athens, where Paul preached the gospel. There's the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. I, I want to go to Israel, to Jerusalem. I might, I might actually make that trip and just plan on not eating anything but falafel while I'm there. And then there are the Great Pyramids of Giza. I'd like to see those. And I'll probably never see those things, many of them. And of course, there are many wonderful things to see closer to home, aren't there? Um, I've seen the Grand Canyon. I grew up about a day's drive from the Grand Canyon, so we visited that several times when I was a kid. I've seen Hoover Dam, which is amazing if you've ever seen it. You, you look at it, and you look at the amount of concrete and the power of the water behind it, and I remember looking at that thinking, if this had been tried today, some environmentalist would derail it, and we would never have gotten anything like this. These things are a relic of a past age, and they'll probably never be built again. And it's just an amazing piece of engineering. I've seen Yellowstone and Old Faithful. Old Faithful smells like rotten eggs. It kind of stinks. I've seen the majestic Northern Rockies. I've seen Mesa Verde's ancient Indian village and Chaco Canyon's petroglyphs. And uh, one of my favorite places on earth to go and just sit and look is Coronado Island outside of San Diego. And there's this beautiful old hotel there, the Hotel del Coronado. It's magnificent. And of course, there are some things that you go to see that are sort of anticlimactic, right? Because they're hyped in the brochures, but they're a letdown in reality. Uh, don't waste your time on wall drug in Wall, South Dakota. I know the bumper stickers are everywhere and there's signs all over the world, come to Wall Drug. It ain't, it ain't worth stopping for. Um, my wife and I and my family and I went down to Sugar Creek last week. That was a big yawn. The Amish flea market. There were no Amish in the Amish flea market 
and they were selling stuff that Target and Walmart couldn't sell. It's like, here, this is overstock that Target couldn't sell. Do you want to buy it from us? No, I really don't. I'll, I'll just have my $3 bottle of Coke and I'll leave now. Uh, Sturgis is about an hour from Mount Rushmore, and I took some of my Scottish friends to see it when they visited me, and they looked at it and they were like, kind of disappointed. And I said, why? And they said, well, we thought it'd be bigger. It's actually not as big as you think it's going to be. And you've probably had those kind of disappointments too. But have you ever thought exactly about what it is that we're doing and why we're doing it when we just go to see something? You, you plan a trip, you write out your itinerary, you spend hundreds and maybe thousands of dollars on hotels and airfare, and you take precious vacation days and time off work, and you leave on your trip, and then you rent a car, or you climb onto a bus, and you go to the thing that you've come to see. And then you stand there, and you look at the thing. And you take a few pictures of you in front of the thing to prove that you were at the thing, so that you can show people back home. And then you go and you buy some souvenirs with the name of the thing and maybe pictures of it, postcards or t-shirts or something like that. And then you walk around the thing or maybe you climb the thing and you read signs about the thing. And then you climb back onto the bus, you go back to your hotel and the next day you take the bus to the next thing and you do it all over again. When you think about it abstractly, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? I just went on vacation. Oh, really? Where did you go? Oh, I went to Lower Slobovia. Well, what did you do there? I saw things, and then I came home. Did you have fun? Oh, it was fantastic. The things, I saw them. And people will spend years saving and planning just so that they can go see things. And if you have the, be the, the best circumstance, you don't want to go see the thing alone, do you? You want to share the experience with someone you love, and what makes it best of all is if someone you love has the same love for the thing that you have. So when we went to Scotland, my wife, I wanted to see distilleries and castles and museums. She wanted to see shopping, right? So I would go to the distillery or the castle or the museum, and she would stand there patiently. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I know this means a lot to you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then we would go shopping, and she would be, oh, look at this. And I'd be like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I know it means a lot to you, but I'm just going to stand here. So, I mean, it was, it was good. But when I got to go back with a friend of mine who was into distilleries, castles, and museums, we had a lot more fun. Because you want to see those things with somebody that appreciates those things like you do. I mean, to see the Sistine Chapel is wonderful. To see it with someone who is passionately interested in the mighty work in the same way that you are makes it a joy. To be with devout and loving Christians on the shores of the Sea of Galilee is the best way to be on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And you wouldn't want to experience Galilee with an atheist or a scoffer, would you? Not if you could help it anyway. Because it would damage, it would diminish your enjoyment of the experience. Human beings are constructed in such a way that we derive great joy from beholding things of beauty, 
things of majesty, things of significance, things of importance, things of rarity, things of value. And to look upon those things while sharing the experience with someone else who derives the same joy as you from beholding those things perfects and heightens and enhances the joy that you feel in the experience. Now, these things that we go to see, whether they're natural, like the Grand Canyon or Niagara Falls, or they're of historic significance, like the Liberty Bell, or they're of great beauty, like the, I don't know if you guys know this, but Pittsburgh, downtown Pittsburgh, the Carnegie Museum of Art, there are world-class works there by really amazing artists, like stuff that I didn't think you would see. You'd have to go to Washington, D.C., to the National Gallery of Art to see. No, they're right there. And I was shocked. I mean, there weren't a great number of them by any individual artist, but there were some big, heavy hitters there, and I, I enjoyed it very much. To go and see the beauty of those paintings and those sculptures in the Museum of Art in Pittsburgh, um, we do that because all, the, all these things have a kind of glory. And what we do when we go to see them, really, is to behold, to drink in, and in some manner exalt and praise their glory. And in doing so, particularly with others who see and appreciate the glory, we find joy. And the rarer a thing is, the more beautiful a thing is, the more awe-inspiring a thing is, the more excellent it is, the more powerful and magnificent it is, the greater its glory. And the greater its glory, the more pleasure we derive from beholding it and gazing upon it and praising it and exalting it, especially with others who are doing the same thing. Now, I hope you can see where I'm going with this. God is by definition the rarest, most unique being who ever existed. He is by definition the most beautiful, the most awe-inspiring, the most excellent, the most powerful, the most magnificent thing that exists or ever has existed. There is no external standard by which God's perfections can be measured because he is the standard. His perfections themselves are the measure which measures everything else. So if you want to know what true goodness looks like, you look at God first, and then you examine all other claims to goodness in light of God's goodness. And you see how they measure up. We talk a lot in our day right now, in this particular cultural moment, about justice. God's justice is the perfect standard of justice. And so we compare all other attempts at justice to his justice. And we can say the same of his mercy, or his power, or his beauty, or his holiness, or his wisdom. Now, since God is by definition infinite, and complete in all of his perfections, then his glory is by definition the greatest glory that exists by an infinite measure above all else that exists. 
And to stand in his presence and to behold him and to see his glory together with other people who also love him and want to behold him is therefore the highest possible joy that a human being can know. To praise, to exalt, and gaze upon God is the rational creature's highest good and most intense pleasure. Our souls were meant to be satisfied by his infinite glory and beauty. And we wouldn't sin so much if we saw God and his glory more clearly. All sin is, at bottom, exchanging God's glory for a lesser glory that looks to us like it's more desirable, and it looks more desirable because our fallen vision is clouded. Now, we find this in Romans chapter 1. If you want to turn with me to see for yourself, you can. If not, I'll read it to you. But Romans chapter 1 and verse 21, Paul describes this process, and listen to what he says. Romans 1.21, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their darkening, in their thinking, rather, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Now, if we pay attention at all to our Bibles, we cannot miss one single overwhelming fact. And that fact is that God is passionate about his glory. It's there from the beginning of the Bible all the way to the end. And in, for instance, Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 14, it says that one day the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Uh, the best modern communicator and thinker on these issues is uh, Dr. John Piper. And he has a lot to say on these things, and he's thought carefully and he's thought deeply about them. Uh, his video sermons are all over YouTube. And I commend them highly to you. There are some things that I would disagree with him on, but when it comes to this subject, he nails it better than almost any modern person. But the theologian that, that first brought these ideas to John Piper while he was a young man in seminary out at Fuller Theological Seminary was the great 18th century uh, American theologian, Jonathan Edwards. And while Piper was there at seminary, one of his professors introduced him to a relatively brief work entitled, A Dissertation Concerning the End for Which God Created the World, by Jonathan Edwards. And in this work, Edwards argues persuasively that while God undoubtedly has many subordinate goals in creating the world, that God's highest goal for the cre in creating everything was his own glory. And then Edwards goes and he piles on biblical text after biblical text after biblical text, one atop the other, to show all the aspects and all the facets of God's passion for his glory from one end of the Bible to the other. And it simply overwhelms anyone who would object to this idea, and they're just drowned in a sea of Bible verses. 
The amount of the Bible that's given over to this theme is absolutely overwhelming. Let's take out our Bibles and just sample one book, the book of Isaiah. And we'll just look at a few of the things. This isn't even the exhaustive list of God's dealing with his glory in the book of Isaiah, but we'll just look at a few of the things. We, we open and we start. We'll do them in, in order so we can just flip pages. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 3. Isaiah 6, 3. The, the king Uzziah has died, and Isaiah goes to the temple, and he sees the Lord sitting on his throne, high and lifted up, and the robe of his... Uh, the, the train of his robe fills the temple, and there's these seraphim and these cherubim. They're flying, and they're, they're crying out. And listen to what it is they're crying out. They called to one another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of what? His glory. Uh, Isaiah chapter 42. Flipping towards the back here. In verse... Eight. Isaiah 42, 8. I am the Lord, he says. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Back one more chapter. Uh, Isaiah 43, verses 6 and 7. I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Isaiah 44, in verse 23. Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, O depths of the earth. Break forth into singing, O mountains, O forest, and every tree in it. I am the Lord, for the, I'm sorry, for the Lord has redeemed Jacob, and I will be glorified in Israel. Uh, Isaiah 48 and verse 9. Isaiah 48 verses 9, 10, and 11. For my name's sake, says God, for my name's sake, I defer my anger. And for the sake of my praise, I restrain it from you. In other words, I'm not pouring out my wrath upon you that you deserve for my name's sake, for my glory. That I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Two more and then we're done. Isaiah 49 and verse 3. And he said to me, you are my servant Israel in whom I will be glorified. Last one, Isaiah 61 verses 1 through 3. The spirit of of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, 
to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, and to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, and the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. That's just parts of one book. Scientists tell us that there are more stars in the universe than there are words and sounds that have ever been uttered by a human voice. You think about that for a minute. All the talking that has gone on on earth for all of the history of the earth, all of the words, all the sounds that have been made, and there are more stars in the universe than that. Now, why in the world did God need to create such a big universe with that many stars? Psalm 19 tells us, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day by day they utter speech, night by night they reveal knowledge. The stars, each star, proclaims the glory of the Most High God. So of course it takes that many stars, and that's not even enough. God is passionate for his glory. God wants his glory manifested in everything he created. Satan's main goal is to steal God's glory and obscure it before human beings and in human beings. And that's why it says in 2 Corinthians 4.4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, God's passion for his glory is liable to strike some of us as bad news, not good news. Because when we really think about it, that's not the, the God we learned in Sunday school, but that's because we lack a proper frame of reference. That's because some of us maybe perhaps want to steal a little bit of God's glory and try and sprinkle a little bit of it on ourselves. We don't want God's glory to be supreme because I want quietly in the recesses of my heart my own glory to be supreme. When we do that, we're like the poet who wrote that poem, Invictus. No matter how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll, I am the master of my fate, the captain of my soul. No, you're not. You're not. God is the master of your fate and the captain of your soul. Now, now last week I said that we're going to be looking at the riches of his grace that he lavished on us in Christ. And last week we talked about one of those riches. We talked about adoption and that we've been adopted as sons in Christ. And we talked about what that meant in Roman culture in Paul's day because it's different than what it means in our day. But adoption as sons is one of the gifts that God lavished upon us. But our adoption as sons, as precious and wonderful as that is, itself serves a higher purpose. And Paul tells us that in this passage. 
And Paul says, in love he, that is God, predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. And then he tells us what that purpose is. To the praise of his glorious grace. Now, I I don't want you to miss this. I, I want you to understand exactly what this means. God's goal in choosing us is the praise of his glorious grace. Paul is saying that God, at the beginning of time, before the foundation of the world, said, I will make a story. We'll call it history. And I will make this story to bring me glory in manifold ways. And the apex of my glory is my grace to my chosen ones whom I predestined because I love them. That's just what the text says. You can put whatever meaning on certain words you want. That's just what the text says. Not his holiness, not his judgment, not his justice, not his wisdom, but his grace. Now, why is that good news for you if you are in Christ? Why is you spending eternity praising his glorious grace itself a tremendous gift to you? Well, in John 17, Jesus prays the longest prayer that we have on record, and he prays that prayer specifically for you. In John 17, 20, he says, Father, I do not ask for these only, the people who are in the room with me, but for all who will believe in me through their word. And that's you and me. And this is what he asks for in John 17, 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me. Jesus' main prayer for you and for me is that we would be with him where he is in heaven so that we can see his glory. Christ was incarnated, lived, died, and rose again so that you could be with him to see his glory. What he's saying is, Father, if they don't see me, they will be denied their highest joy. Our souls will be satisfied as they were meant to be satisfied by gazing on the infinite glory and beauty of Jesus Christ. Now, what bothers us is that when people act this way, most of the time it's evidence of a mental illness or a personality disorder. People who want you to praise them all the time, who demand praise, are sick in the head. And it's a problem. The need need to be noticed and praised seems more fit for an insecure middle schooler than it does the emperor of the universe. But that's not how it is with God. and, And there are flashes of this in an appropriate and a healthy way, even in our fallen world, and you've experienced them, you just didn't quite recognize them, probably. So let me give you an example. Two weeks ago last night, on April 3rd, Gonzaga played UCLA for the chance to go head-to-head with Baylor for the NCAA basketball championship. And I was rooting for Gonzaga. 
and the game was very close the whole time. It was very tight. And the teams were actually tied at the final buzzer, and the game went into overtime. And at the very end of overtime, the score was still tied, 90 to 90. And the last 12 seconds of this game were amazing. A Gonzaga player named Jalen Suggs launched a 40-foot three-pointer from almost half court. The ball was in the air when the buzzer sounded, and it was an absolutely perfect shot. It banked off, uh, off the backboard and into the net, and Gonzaga won that game by three points. And my wife and I, when we saw that, it was like 11 o'clock at night before it was done, she, she and I jumped up and shouted so loud that we woke the kids up. And the crowd went wild. And within 10 minutes, the video of that last 12 seconds of that game went all around the globe on Twitter and Facebook and social media of all kinds. And people were saying, look at this shot. Have you ever seen anything like it? You know, in 30 years, if I still have breath in my body and senses in my head, I'll see that video clip on ESPN someday. One media outlet wrote, the Suggs, drove, uh, the, the, the Suggs drove up the court and banked the shot as time expired and immediately cemented his place in NCAA tournament history. Is there anything whatsoever bad in that? No. In that moment, for that deed, Jason or Jalen Suggs deserved praise, exultant praise, wild celebration, joy, people telling each other about the shot, people sharing the video, and it took nothing away from me, it took nothing away from Laura or anybody else to cry out in spontaneous exultation for that particular display of basketball greatness. As a matter of fact, it didn't take anything away from us. It added to our joy, our, our, our excitement, and our happiness. The, the first thing I did when I saw my daughters the next day was to show that clip to them. Why? Because that man doing that deed in that moment was worthy of praise. And it made me happy to watch it. And it still makes me happy to relive it. And if you saw it, you're probably smiling too, because you remember. And as a matter of fact, if you did not praise it, that would indicate some kind of a deficiency in you. You're a basketball dullard. There's something wrong with you. Even if you don't like basketball, you have to look at that and go, oh man, that was amazing because it was worthy of praise. Now turn to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5 and verses 8 through 14. I'm tempted to read all of Revelation 5, but I won't. It's an amazing passage. There's this scroll. It's got seals on it. And in order to open the seals, you have to be worthy. And all of heaven is watching this scroll. 
Is there anybody that can open it? Is there anyone that can open it who is worthy? And nobody was found. And John begins to weep loudly because there was nobody that was found that could open the scroll. And then the angel standing next to him says, wait a minute, turn around. The lion of the tribe of Judah is worthy to open the scroll. And John turns and there's a, a lamb looking as though he'd been slain. Verse 8, verse 7, and he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open the seals. Why is he worthy? For you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests of their God, of our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory. Worthy is the lamb to receive glory. He is worthy that man, Jesus, doing that deed in that moment is infinitely worthy of eternal praise. And if you did not praise him, that would indicate a deficiency in you. And it will take nothing from you at all to cry out in spontaneous praise to God for the glorious grace that saved you. It will actually be the highest joy that you can experience. John Piper put it this way, and I think it's perfect. It really kind of, you stood up and you go, what? If God is not self-exalting, says John Piper, then he is not loving. If God is not self-exalting, he is not loving because he would be denying you your highest blessing and good and happiness. C.S. Lewis writes in his book, Reflections on the Psalms, and with this I close. The most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, strangely escaped me. I thought of it in terms of compliment, approval, or giving honor. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise unless shyness or the fear of boring others is deliberately brought in to check it. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poets, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game, praise of weather, wines, dishes, Actors, motor cars, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, even sometimes politicians, 
or scholars. I had not noticed how the humblest and at the same time the most balanced and capacious minds praised the most, while the cranks, misfits, and malcontents praised the least. Except where intolerably adverse circumstances interfere, praise almost seems to be the inner health of the individual made audible. I had not noticed either that just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that was magnificent? The psalmist, in telling everyone to praise God, are doing what all men do when they speak of what they care about. My whole, more general difficulty about the praise of God depended on me absurdly on my absurdly denying to us as regards to the supremely valuable what we delight to do indeed what we can't help but doing about everything else we value god is most glorified in us when we praise him and we are most satisfied in him when he's glorified in us father may the words of my mouth the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer.